qualifications that we should certainly strive for in our life. God's looking for us to put those things to work. He's not grading on curves. He wants people to get to a certain place before He can move them on. And He is content to wait. So we need to get ourselves busy and get ourselves in there. But He moves on now to the treatment, how to treat church members. <laughs> now sometimes we have our own ideas about how to treat church members. And he's not really going to go over and talk about all the church members, but he is going to talk about some special groups. And so we're going to try and take some of the principles of what he is teaching us here and apply it to maybe some groups that he didn't have in his day. Let's see how we can learn from, from that. But he starts here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger as sisters with all purity. If you had a King James Bible, you may be used to the term elders. Do not rebuke an elder, and it's not referring to, you know, that's the same word that's used there, it's not referring to an elder as in a position, but because of the context and such things, it's talking about the uh, the age. And so rightly, the New King James translated it, do not rebuke an older man, not a position of elder, but those who are older. And the word there for rebuke is a strong word to chastise with words or to abrade. So uh, he's saying Timothy as a younger man, and Timothy we know was a younger man as a pastor taking on things. He said, don't let people despise your youth. So at some point he was uh, looked at as younger than a lot of the people he was there with. But he says, don't go up to the ones that are older than you and chastise them or upbraid them with words. Don't uh, rebuke them in this way. But he goes on, but exhort him as a father. Now, if you ever get to that spot where you have to correct your, your father, how would you do so? And understand that the fathers can miss it. Just as moms can miss it, fathers can miss it as well. And there are times that you, you say, well, dad, you know, uh, you, you're, you're careful, you're respectful, and you just try and, you know, that's not quite how things happen. This is what was going on. And you try and uh, put things into perspective uh, with that. And that's what he's saying to do here. It, uh, even though Timothy is the pastor of the church, and this person may be an older person in the church, but they are a member. Still speak respectfully to them. Don't treat them, don't, don't abrade them, don't uh, uh, treat them as, as lower than yourself. But he says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. So anyone who is older than you in the church, if, if Timothy was to do this as the pastor, how much more should everyone else in the church do the same thing? If there comes a time when you have to correct someone who is older in age than you are, then exhort them as you would a father, or if they're a man, as a father, if they're a woman, as a mother. How would you exhort them and, and tr treat the same way? He says, younger men as brothers. So if they're younger than you, exhort them like you would your brother. And uh, still there'll be some respectfulness that's there. Uh, you know, that's, um, there should be <laughs> In all of our relationships, there ought to be that aspect of a respectability. But you're not, you're not going after him as a father, but as a brother. More, one more on your level it might be a younger brother that you might be doing. But, you know, maybe when you were little, you had your ways of correcting brothers. But, you know, you're grown up now. <laughs> and you don't treat them in the same way. So he says, uh, as you're grown up, treat them in, in this way. Uh, because, you know, uh, other people... you. They may walk away from you and you don't have any dealings with them anymore. But a brother you do. No matter what, you will deal with a brother or a sister. Again, because families get together. And they will be showing up 
So I think sometimes the the exhortation here is rebuke them in such a way or correct them or deal with them in such a way to realize you're going to be seeing them again. They are going to be around. So treat them as such. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, youngers as sisters with all purity. Basically, he's saying this, everybody in the church, they're family. <laughs> they're all family. Uh, you may have other people that are family, but this is family. We've heard people you know, refer to this as your other family. And apparently that's scriptural right there. <laughs> um, but, but treat them as family. Don't treat them as people that you can just cast aside. And all of them. Make sure that we treat all the people in the body of Christ as family. And not just, well, certain ones, you know, because they see things the way we do or they believe things the way... No, treat them all as family. Just uh, j- just do so. You know, your brother is your brother not because they behave a certain way, not because they believe a certain way, but because they were born into the same family. Same thing with your sister and so forth. With the, They're just born into the same family. Because they're born in the same family, they are family. And so don't try and qualify other believers and other church members as such. So no matter the age, treat others in the body of Christ as family. Too often we lose sight of this and we begin to treat people in the body of Christ as less than. And uh, don't don't treat them as less than anything. Uh, one place in Scripture tells us that if you come to a place and you have to rebuke your brother, then do so, correct them in such a way, realizing that you also could miss it. Sometimes we get into a place where we correct people in a place er, with an attitude that, well, I'm never going to miss it. I've never missed it in that way. And yeah, it's just not the good way to, to go about it because what happens if you do miss it down the road? <laughs> Surely you're not missing it right now, but maybe down the road you might. And people remember. So don't, don't go after that. But then he gets into another group here in verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. You might wonder about that statement. I mean, a widow is someone who lost their husband. <laughs> so if, if they lost their husband to death and they were a widow, uh, wouldn't that mean that anyone who lost their husband to death is a widow? Apparently not. That apparently does not qualify you as a widow. Though we would think so. So there's four categories of widows here. And the first one is a complete widow. Total widow. There is, uh, she is a widow. This is the group that he's talking about. This is the, when you're going to honor widows, this is the group to do so. But apparently there's other groups of widows that you are not to do so in the same way. So uh, I gave you the verses that these, uh, that um, talk about each of these groups. This one is in 3, 5, and then 9 and 10. Basically, they are on their own with no other support. A true widow, a complete widow, is one who is on their own with no other support. Verse 5. We're skipping around here because we're looking at the verses that deal with each of these groups. Well, we'll get to all the verses. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now, she who is really a widow, a true widow, and left alone, in other words, no one else around, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Now, I messed up the word there. It shouldn't be complete. It should be continues. It indicates an attitude rather than an action. It's not so much, uh, so you just cross that out and change that out for me. 
Uh, it's not so much that they every night that you knock on the door, hey, widow, how you doing? She's uh, getting up from prayer to come answer the door. That's not what it's talking about there. It's an attitude rather than an action. So she trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Sometimes we get the idea that in order to be a true widow, you have to be, every time that you're awake, you need to be on your knees praying. And if you're ever not on your knees praying, well, you're not a true widow, according to Paul. That's not what he's talking about. It's an attitude of, of prayer. And certainly they are going to be on their knees praying a whole lot, and that's what he's exhorting them to do as widows. Uh, you should be turning your attention to, to that if you are going to be a true and complete widow. There are people in the group that are, are not that way. Verse 9, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be t- taken into the number, into the group of widows, of total widows, complete widows. So sixty, if they're not 60 years old, they don't count. They don't get in. So if they're 59, <laughs> they apparently still have some time to go out. Hey, he had to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> right? I guess wherever you draw the line, you can always say, well, what about you know if they're only a month from... You've got to draw the line somewhere. Every time you draw a line, people want to say, well, but what about this? So um, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. So you are not a complete and true widow unless you are over the age of 60. That's the first thing. And not unless she has been the wife of one man. Now, I saw a couple of people note this one, that it's kind of the same note that we saw about the husband. The husband being a, a one at a time. But I'm not so sure. I don't know how that works the same way because, again, we're dealing with the mentality that was there at the day. Men could marry more than one woman. But there was no account that I know of of women who married more than one man at a time. That just didn't happen. Uh, because of the way women were viewed. Not that they're supposed to be viewed that way, but because of the way women were viewed in society, that they didn't have, a woman didn't have a harem of men. <laughs> now, the men were not supposed to have a harem of women, but some of them did. <laughs> and so he's saying, those men who have a harem of women, don't put them in there. <laughs> don't bring them on over. But I don't know that the same thing that's here, it would seem to indicate, uh, to me anyway, that uh, uh, that she had been... Married only once, but again, you know, what if she married and at, uh, and at age 35 made the husband died? And then she went off and she married again, and later on she became a widow again. Maybe at 65 her husband died. Uh, then she married two men. So I don't, I don't know that Paul is saying that that person couldn't be a, included in there, but one of those things, maybe we have to get to heaven and find out what Paul was talking about to, to figure that out exactly. But at any rate, you do want to have a, if you have a, a woman who is, now go, go into this here. Day, the day and age that we are today is a lot different from what it was back then for the Jewish people that he was writing to. Now, he was also writing to some Gentile people, but uh, there were some, uh, right now you have a lot of women who go from one man to another man, then to another man, then to another. And that's not the kind of woman he wants to put in this group. So if any of that carried over into the Gentiles in that day, then he's basically saying, that, don't bring that one in. It's not, he's not saying that they're no good of a person. He's just saying that's not the kind of person we want in this group of widows because of the things that they're going to have this group of widows do and the things that the church is going to do for these widows. So there's all reason for that. So do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Wealth reported for good works if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. 
So he's defining who these people are. So once clearly defined who is a widow, Paul describes a type of treatment that they should receive in, uh, in this part here. But four areas her reputation should have been built in. First off, child care. If she's, she should have had children, and we should have been able to observe how she was as a mother, as ra- raising those children. Uh, secondly, hospitality. If she, has, uh, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if um, lodge strangers here, hospitality, uh, and it could be strangers, maybe that's what he's talking about there are strangers, but it also seems to be some indication that it may have been orphans. That if she had some orphans, because there were a lot of orphans in those, those days and really no place to take care of them. And so if they saw orphans, if they took them on into the house and they, they took care. Anyway, some kind of hospitality. We'll just put it there that. They didn't just close the doors. But this woman showed some hospitality. We're not talking about the man. The man's dead because she's a widow. We're not talking about him. All we're talking about is her. Well, what if uh, she wanted to be hospital and the husband didn't let it, let, let her be so? Well, I imagine that that would have been evident somewhere. So he's just giving them the, the list here. So child care, hospitality, uh, humble service. Washing the feet could mean any kind of menial service, any kind of humbling service that uh, people would have done. That was part of the customs of those days. The people would come in and they would get their feet washed so that they didn't soil up the house or they were clean for the meal and and so forth. And uh, this woman would come in there and do that or would she look at that as being beneath her? Uh, benevolence. We put in there as the fourth one. If she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted. So she saw some people that were afflicted in some way and she came in there to help out. So he just gave four areas, but these are four areas that you can find out the uh, the true widow. Uh, if Apparently if she didn't raise her kids very well, Kind of said, you know, just get out of here and leave me alone. I'm going to watch my soaps. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, uh, hosp- not very hospitable. People came on over. No, nah, we don't have any room for them. I don't want to take care of them. I don't want to feed anybody else. See, this is an attitude that says, I don't want to take care of anybody else. So when she comes time to the point where she needs to be taken care of, Paul is saying she didn't qualify. That's basically what he's saying. She, now, they're talking about people who didn't just do this for a week or two. We're talking about people who led this as a lifestyle. Because how old are these people? 60-year-old people. And if they're younger, they're not going to qualify in this group. So if they're 60-year-old, they've got 30, 40 years. What did they do with those 30, 40 years? And he's saying, here's four areas that you can take a look at. If you, Timothy, if you don't know what's going on with these people in these four areas, then ask people because other people know. So that's the first group, the true widows. If they qualify as true widows, then the Certain things need to be done for them. Uh, but verse 4, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So if a widow has some kids, if the widow has some grandkids, and they're still around, he says the first area of responsibility is that the grandkids or the kids should take care of the widow, not the church. That's the first area. In other words, and how many of you know this, this attitude is there? Well, let's just let the church do it so that I don't have to. That's not how it's supposed to be. But if anyone who has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. 
for this is good and acceptable before God. Verse 8, also talking about widows with relatives. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he's, now he's not talking about the widow. In this one, he's talking about the people who know the widow, who are the children, who are the grandchildren. If they refuse, they say, no, I'm not going to take care of them. Then you are worse than an infidel is what he's saying. So you need to be doing some, some stuff in that area. Uh, verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So the church was going to take on some of these ones that were widows who were over 60 years old, who met their qualifications in these four areas, showed their, their example. And then the church would take them in and they would help support those widows. But in return, those widows did some things in the church. They, they operated in a certain way. They, uh, they prayed. They did a lot of ministry, a lot of service and so forth. So it wasn't just a free ride. It wasn't just, you know what, you're a widow, you can't do anything, so you just stay at home and we'll take... No, it wasn't it. That widow did some stuff. If she wanted to be in this group, she was out there praying. She had an attitude of prayer. She was always having, having that ready and spent time, nights, mornings, whatever it might be, in there praying. Other places, uh, the older women were supposed to be teaching the younger women. I'm sure that meant uh, these, these widows as well. That would go in. It's going to the third group. Widows living in pleasure. Verse 6. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. So these are some people that were widows and they lived in pleasure. Uh, one of the interpretations of this is that uh, many single women in those days reported or resorted to immoral living as a means of support. We don't really have to explain that a whole lot, but they... Uh, uh, one after immoral living. Now they felt the pressure there. They had no, maybe the husband died. There wasn't a whole lot left. There was a lot of pressure to, to find support. And they went out and did it this way. He says there, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Spiritually dead while she physically lives. Now verse 7 is interesting. Verse 7 could refer to two things. First, let's read it. And these things commanded that, that they may be blameless. Now, and these things command, is he saying to Timothy, command these things to the widows who are living in pleasure? Or is he saying, command these things to the people who are the offspring of the widows? I don't know that I have a definite answer for you. But um, I would say both. <laughs> I would say we can interpret both ways and be fine. As, as Timothy, he should be exhorting the women who would be going uh, widows living in pleasure, uh, you should be exhorting them out of that lifestyle. That's not a lifestyle that they should be walking after. And if there are grandchildren and children that are not willing to take care of the widows uh, that are in their family, then they need to be exhorted as well because they're going down a wrong wrong means. Paul said that they are, are um, worse than infidels if they don't do that. So both groups need to be exhorted. Whichever one he has in mind here is perfectly fine. We can certainly see that both could be, be exhorted. So we'll leave verse 7 for either one of those areas. Verse 11. But refuse the younger widows. Now that's got to be tough. Can you imagine refusing anyone? They come to the church for help. They're coming and saying, hey, you know, my, my husband died. I don't really have any, any means. And they're young. 
Well, what's young? Under 60 is young. How many of you are under 60? You're young, according to the Bible. You can quote that. Anybody want to try and get you feel old at your birthday? You just say, the Bible calls me young. But refuse the younger widows, for they have begun to grow wanton against Christ they desire to marry. So he says, if you bring the younger widows into this group, that you're going to help them with their support and take care of their needs, and they're supposed to go around and be praying and interceding and helping with some things in the church, uh, it's not going to work out so good for the younger ones because they're going to begin to want to have a husband again. And to have some kids maybe. So maybe some more kids. Or at least one of those partners is going to come and begin to work on them. And they're going to be kind of divided. They're going to want to do some of this stuff that their church is asking them to do because they're helping support them. But then they also kind of want to go on out here. And I mean, if you have a young widow, she's 35 years old. Husband died in battle. And after she's going on this for a while, she uh, finds another uh, person who maybe their wife died and they're single. And uh, they may, you know, flash eyes at each other and find an interest. And what's that woman going to do at 35? You know what? I'm going to turn you down because I'm just a widow in a church and I'm serving God and I'm not going to, you know, pursue these kind of things. No, what Paul is saying is, no, those younger widows, uh, they may be real serious at the time when there's a need, but eventually... They're going to get comfortable and they're going to begin to look. They grow wanton against Christ. They desire to marry. And get, desiring to marry is not a bad thing. Paul is not putting them down for this. It's not, it's not a bad thing to desire to marry. He's just saying you can't put them into a group who's going to say we're not going to marry. We're going to be over here and take care of the needs of God and pray and so forth. You can't put them into that group because they're not going to stay there. They're going to move out of that group. And he said, don't, so don't do it. Don't put the young ones in there. But what's it? this is real interesting what he says about it, but refuse the younger widows. Now, remember, uh, the deacons were picked because the widows were not being taken care of in the daily distribution. So the monies that was coming in, they were actually taking some of the money and giving it right to the widows. But not all the widows were getting the share or was going to the wrong ones or whatever it might be. And so that's what they had the deacons for. So the deacons, when people came in and said, I'm a widow and I want to be in the group, and the deacon would say, no, you're 40 years old. You got time. Get out there. Find a husband. <laughs> you imagine that. Because sometimes we just don't think that the church ought to refuse any kind of needy situation. But refuse the younger widows for whom they have begun to grow wanton against Christ. They desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which ought not, which they ought not. So he's telling them right there, the younger women, if you put them in this group and they don't have anything to do anymore, but, you know, pray and seek after God are going to find other things to do besides pray and seek after God. And they're going to get themselves busy in other people's affairs. They're going to have people, because you're going to put them in this position, they'll be praying for people, helping people, ministering, and people are going to confide in them. And they're going to begin to tell some things about what they hear. That's a, ta- that's a tale terror. 
I actually wrote this up in in your um, outline for you. Uh, gossips, in the King James Version, puts it as tattlers. It is a talebearer or one who betrays a private confidence. If You can tell if you are a gossip by this. Has someone come to you and said something to you in private? And you have then gone off and said this to someone else. I shouldn't tell you this, but... Is, uh, who's that, that comedian who does that? You might be a redneck if. You might be a gossip if. if this describes you. Don't ever do it. You need to be the kind of person that if somebody comes and confides in you, that's all there is to it. You don't tell anybody else. That's, that's all there is. That's it. Now, a person who understands that when someone comes to you and says, this is private, this is confidential, and you listen to them, should also be one who understands that when information was out there and they didn't get told themselves because it was told to another person in confidence, ought to be able to respect it. I get real irritated with people who, um, you know, they go out there and and uh, they get me, well, you know about that? Well, yeah. Well, why didn't you tell me? Because I wasn't permitted to. People said that, please don't pass this on to anyone just yet. I'm not ready to pass this on just yet. When I'm ready, I'll tell them. Very good. Now, if you don't want to hear that, then you tell it right off the bat. But if you hear the thing in confidence, then you need to just be quiet. See, a person who understands the responsibility of holding the confidence in, will never truly get mad at someone else who did. It's just like, oh, they told you not. Well, then you couldn't have told me. And just go on. So don't put ourselves into a, in a um, dilemma or conundrum, whatever way you want to put it, you know, one choice or two, three, four choices, whatever it have, is you have. If you are going to hold the confidence of other people, respect the fact that other people have held confidences of other people. And that's fine. Let them hold it. You know, I never get up. I don't get upset at what I don't know. I'm okay with anything I don't know. If I don't know it, I'm fine. I don't have to know everything. You come to me and says, well, I know something about somebody. Well, you allowed to tell? Nope. Okay. I don't need to pull it out of you. I'm not going to try and pull it out of you. You were told that in confidence. If I try and pull it out of you, I'm wrong because if people are going to tell me something and I need to keep it in confidence... Now, be careful about this. I've tried to make sure I do, do this, and sometimes, you know, it'll, it'll affect you. <laughs> it can affect you in a negative way. But if somebody tells me something in confidence, and then other people, eventually the word gets out, and people tell, and they come up and they tell me about it, I never let on that I knew. Why should I? Why, well, yeah, I already knew that. How'd you know? Well, they told me a couple weeks ago. <gasps> no, I don't want to get into all that. I just simply, if they tell me, oh, look at that. That's good news. <laughs> or that's bad news or whatever it might be. I don't need to let anybody else, else know. I just think, you know, sometimes it's just uh, good self-defense. Just uh, just be ignorant. That you, because you, you are told it in confidence. If you are going to qualify that confidence, then do so before you hear it. If you ever come into a place where you've, you've been compromised on that, then you need to stop people. Look, before you tell me, does this involve anyone else? No. This just involves you. Okay. 
Does this involve and does this involve anybody else being hurt? No, just involves me. Okay, as long as it doesn't involve anyone else being hurt, or doesn't involve anybody else opinion, or then that's fine. I'll hear it. But otherwise, just stop it. You know what? I'm going to stop you right here. If this involves another person, I may need to get that person involved if I hear it. Do you still want to tell me? And you just qualify right off the bat, right off the bat. But see, sometimes we get into this thing where, oh no, I like to know. <laughs> Go ahead and tell me. I'll decide afterwards so I can. No. If I tell someone, no, I'll keep that in confidence, then you keep it in confidence. And you don't tell anybody else that. It's, uh, it's just not something that you should, you should do. And, and that's just how it should be. Years ago, many, many years ago, this is a long time ago, but um, I remember somebody told me something very personal, very uh, much of a battle that they were going on, but it just involved them. It didn't involve anyone else. And they told it to me, and I was able to, to talk with them and to help them through it. And they, as they came out the times when they struggled with it, they talked to me about it. And we went on that way, but it was just the, them and I. That was it. But after a, a, a number of, uh, I don't know, months, a year, two years, something like that, they finally decided to bring someone else in on it. And they brought someone else in on it. And then that person uh, said, so-and-so told me about this situation. And they told me that you knew about it as well. I said, well, yeah, I do know about it. And he says, he, he looked at me stunned. And he says, I, I, I'm totally perplexed. He said, I never would have guessed that you knew this about them. I said, well, that's good. <laughs> I should never do anything that could cause you to guess. that Because that, 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 it's not your responsibility. You know, sometimes we give hints. Ever been around when people give hints? Now, I, know, I know something. I'm not supposed to tell you, but you know, if you guess it, don't. If you are being told something in confidence, it's in confidence. Don't write it down. Don't put it in a place where it can slip out. Don't say anything about it. It is your responsibility. So don't be a gossip. Don't be a tattletale. Don't be one who betrays a private confidence. If someone has given you information about themselves that is private, you do not have the right to share it. With anyone, no matter how close they are, no matter how much you say, can you keep a secret? It's not something that you can do. So this is good for, for all, but especially for the, for the widows and these younger ones. He didn't have a whole lot of confidence that they were going to do that. They're going to get pulled into this. They're going to, they're going to be in an area of, of prayer ministry. And you know, prayer ministry, people tell people they're in prayer ministry stuff. Can you pray for me in this area? I'm having a hard time. And you get to know some things about people that maybe other people might like to know. But don't tell them. Don't do it. Don't be a gossip. Now, the next one, he said, busybodies. <laughs> Pays attention to the affairs of others and is meddlesome. I really don't know why people like to pay attention to the affairs of other people. I just think it's ridiculous. I, we got enough to do with our own selves. We've got enough to do with what people decide they share with us. Why do I need to go out there and find other, other stuff? These people magazines and these uh, things that are out there, you know, they flash on the screen about uh, what's going on in the other people's lives, who's getting divorced, who's getting uh, pregnant, who's uh, uh, having an affair, stuff like that. It, it just has no pull to me. It's like, why do I care what so-and-so is doing? It just doesn't matter to me. 
and we have to get that way, disinterested in it. And if they want to, they want some help, and they want to come to you and talk to you about it. All right, then you know, you can get in there and and help them out with some. But that's not what this is talking about. How many of y'all know people who deliberately listen for conversations outside of themselves for the purpose of being meddlesome, getting involved? Remember that uh, show, uh, that uh, Ray. What was that Ray show? Um, Ray, everybody loves Raymond. The mother-in-law or the mom, his mom that was over there. Yeah, busybody. All right, she played that part of that busybody well. <laughs> she was always about other people's business and getting poking her nose into stuff and, and saying things in certain ways and, and uh, saying stuff about other people that uh, she probably shouldn't have been saying. She played that role well. <laughs> Gossips and busybodies, these are things that you're not supposed to do. It's not supposed to be involved with. And besides, they learn to be idle. That's a learned trait. You can learn to be idle. You can go, for, I heard this from, from somebody that, you know, you, you could be a hard-working person, work, 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 and sit around for a little while and you will learn to be idle. <laughs> that may well be. I want to make sure that I never get the opportunity to learn it. So I find ways to keep myself busy. We keep ourselves going. Because, uh, you know, you take a day off, take a two days off. Man, fucking nice. <laughs> Sit around, read something, tinker around with some things you like to tinker around with. Do it. No, get out there and be busy. Be working. Be working for God. Be working for... Uh, employer, be working for something. Stay busy. Keep going. Don't um, don't learn to be idle. Because we can learn it. And we are good learners at this. So don't, uh, don't do it. Wandering about from house to house. Just going from this place over to here. Why are we going from house to house? Poking our nose. Mm-hmm. Asking questions. Finding out what kind of stuff's going on. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Well, I probably ought not to tell you this. Well, I shouldn't be saying something like this, but, but well, you've been praying for them, and you probably need to know <laughs> why. <laughs> we can justify all sorts of stuff. So he says, don't take the younger widows. You need to stand there and refuse them. We're not going to do this because this is what's going on down the road with you. And we're not going to, we're not going to let that go on. We're going to, you're going to learn to be idle. Nope. Not going to do that. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows, and here's what they should be doing. Marry. It's a good thing to be married. It's also according to Paul. It's fine if you're not. But if you were married and you're a widow now, he's saying, go on out there and get married again. Bear children. Now, that's not an exhortation given to the husbands. It's only given to the wives. You can see, figure out why. But they're to marry, bear children, manage the house, and give no opportunity for the adversary to speak reproachfully. The adversary here is not the devil. Because the devil doesn't go around speaking reproachfully. It's men, people, humans, are going to look at that person and speak reproachfully about it. Ever see people talk about someone who is meddlesome? Gossip? What do they say about them? 
Oh, be careful what you say around this one. Oh, be careful what you do over here. This person. And you see, you're given an opportunity for people to do that. So he says, go ahead and get married, bear children, manage the house. Now, he's not saying that, you know, you're not fulfilled if you don't do any of these things. He's just saying for these folks, you were, you got married for the purpose of that. And if that's not fulfilled, go out there, get married, bear children, manage the house. And that's all right to do. Give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So he's saying, in particular with the younger widows, that if they got involved where the church took care of their needs, that of that group, some have gone after the Satan's kingdom. They got involved in becoming meddlesome, became involved in becoming a gossip, and it turned them away. That's why I stay out of these areas. These areas are traps for people. As men and women, men who can get involved in these things, it's just as much of a trap for you. Don't be doing it. But for the younger widows, if you take them out of the productive lifestyle that they're, they should be in, that's it's going to be a problem. Now, again, this is their, their lifestyle. This is the lifestyle that they, they have here. In this culture, the women then go out and necessarily get a job they uh their job was basically to get married and raise the kids and manage the household that was primarily it you did find some women who had businesses but it was not that common not especially with the jewish people but in the gentile section sometimes you saw that and sometimes even in the new testament we see some women who were some businesswomen but it was not all that common so but today it is common for women and men to be in the business world and into doing things. And so they could not marry and still be out there and not be idle. Does that make sense to you? A, a, a single woman today can lose her husband. Maybe the, they died in a war and they may lose their husband and be a widow and can still have a job and be busy and not be going house to house and doing all the other things that he exhorted them to, to, be, to be watching out for. So, we do have to hear some of it as far as the culture is concerned. Because what Paul is doing here, he's not giving Bible, uh, the Bible path for women forever. He's talking about the widows during their day. So, he's taking it, each one, and he's judging it by such. There are four groups of widows. This is the group that you ought to be bringing into the church. These other ones, not so much. They need to be letting the kids take care of them. They need to be getting married again. Whatever it was, he, was, he laid it on out there. When we take a look at this, how do we view some of the groups, just looking at some of the things that he's, he's laid out here, what do we do with some of the groups that we have today? There are some helpless ones that we have out there today. We have unemployed. We have disabled. We have homeless. We have single moms with multiple kids and fathers. There apparently was a, a network out there. I don't know the name of the network, but I heard about the show. They apparently had some rapper who had um, 11 kids by 10 different women. And they were going to do a whole show on it. They apparently canceled it because of the, some uproar with some people. But they were going to do some uh, show. Now, you have a whole audience there that would probably be loving to see this, uh, single moms and, and so forth. But you have single moms with multiple kids and multiple fathers. Why are they in that situation? Well, a lot of times they're in that situation. I'm not speaking for all of them, but I can certainly speak for some of them that they're in that situation because they decided that uh, we'll f apply for welfare and we get so much per kid. 
And the more kids we have, the more welfare we get, the more food stamps we get. And so they found this is a way that they can be idle. They're not working. They're supposed to be raising the kids, but how many of y'all know those households? What are they doing with raising the kids? No. Shut up and watch TV. I'm busy. Going outside. Get out of here. It's just not a, it's not a good situation. Not all single moms are that way. I'm not saying that at all. But there are some that have gotten the idea that I can be on welfare, they'll support me, and I can go out there and have this lifestyle. And this is exactly what Paul is warning against. Don't have this go on. But instead of the church doing the supporting, it was the government that came on and, and did that. And they, they created a terrible situation. So now you have kids growing up, and they got one mom. they got dads all over the place. Some of them are around. Some of them aren't around at all. And then the kids are growing up, you know, well, we got dad so-and-so and dad so-and-so and I have this dad and you have that dad and boy, is that ever a messed up thing. And mom's not really giving them the attention and they're not getting the, the role from the, the man and the household is in a poverty mentality. And they grow up learning that, well, you know, this is, this is how you can get by. So that's going against everything that Paul taught, but it's outside of the church setting and it's into the government setting. This is why I get so uh, irate at uh, government regulations that try and increase the pool of people on welfare instead of cut down on them. It's supposed to be there to help people, get them on their feet, and get them back out into the workplace, get them out there doing some things. Because idle people, it's bad. And that's what Paul's telling us. It's not good to be idle. It's not good to be... It's, it's just, have these people, all they have to do is go out there and they just meet another guy and they get pregnant again and... This is not a, not a good place to be. Unemployed? How many of y'all know unemployed people that are pretty happy being unemployed? I still remember that one guy who was in front of me in Lowe's. Older than me. And he was talking about, uh, I don't know how he even got on it, but he was talking about with the cashier. Yeah, I've been unemployed now for two years. I'm going to keep voting for these people in office because they keep giving me money. I'm, getting paid more, I'm making more money now than when I went to work, is what he said. Direct, directly in front of me in the Lowe's. I actually wanted to go up and slap him upside the head, but, you know, he's uh, older than me and that's what you're supposed to do. But that's the wrong attitude. And we're fostering that in, in some of the things that are, are going on in the, in the country. And, and that's not right. That's not the way to go. And then you have the, the brainless ones like um, uh, Nancy Pelosi who says that every dollar that we spend on unemployment is like a dollar seventy-three. You remember her saying that? talking about that unemployment is the greatest uh, uh, help to the economy because every dollar that we spend on unemployment is a, equal to a dollar 73 of other people spending money <laughs> so you as a working according to Nancy Pelosi <laughs> you as a working person have to spend a dollar and 73 cents to equal the dollar that the unemployed would spend does that make sense to you there is no way to make sense of it. It's just an ignorant person saying ignorant things. And she says plenty of them. But it's, um, that's, that's a mentality that they, they can go out there. No, unemployed ought to go out there and find a job. And we ought to encourage them and, and, and do things to help them find a job and get the, the things going on in our country to get jobs going on instead of the things to, to, to close them down. You know, we're, we're deliberately taking jobs out of the country. And I just, we got people who want to work. But the longer that they are idle, they learn to be idle. Works with the unemployed. 
works for the disabled. There are some disabled, they were war vets. They went overseas, they got hurt. They can't do what they did before. Does our country have a responsibility to them? I think so. But as a disabled war vet, I'll bet you there's something they can do. And I'll bet you that there's something that they'd want to do. But we don't always make it worthwhile because of the rules that are there. No, you are on disability. If you go out and get a job that pays you this much, you lose your disability. Why? This is how much they made before. If you can't make that much, then we will make up for it. Go out there and get yourself a job. And we'll go, and the American people will pitch in and we will make sure that you can still make the money that you made before, even though you can't do the thing that you did before. I think that's a, that's a responsibility to be there. But you know, that disabled person can go out there and do something and they feel better about themselves than they do. But we're not taking it that way. No, we'd rather the disabled person sit at home, watch TV, and we'll just send them a check. This isn't, this is not the way that Paul is laying out the thing with the widows. And we gotta take what he's doing with the widows and apply it to here. Can this person do something else? Is there someone else that can help this person? How much better is it if a unemployed, if a disabled, if a widow, if a homeless person takes money from someone who's in the family? What happens to the attitude of the person who takes money from someone who's in the family? Thank you very much. Boy, I really appreciate it. But I want to get to a place where I don't need you to do this anymore. Don't we have that, that feeling? But if you take money from the government that just comes to you by a check in the mail, what's their attitude about it? Well, I should be getting more than this. This is all that they're giving me. And we lose the gratitude like we were talking about before. You lose the gratitude. And there's no real need to get off of that. It's a whole lot different when people that you know come over and help you out. Then when a no name, no face government just sends you a check. Just changes, the, changes what's going on. And see, this is what happened with the widows. It was a person. Deacon so-and-so would show up at their house. Hi, we're here. How are things going with you? Here, we got some, some money. This is part of the distribution. We're here to take care of you. How are you doing with, uh, with praying, with ministering, with doing the different things that you're doing? It was a face. We're taking that face away. And we shouldn't be doing that. People need to be seeing the face. But we aren't doing that. So we can take these things that are applying there for the widows. And we can apply it to a lot of the groups that are there. We aren't doing it. It's going to be a, a tough thing to get it back. But in this country, the way it used to be, churches used to do a lot of the things that welfare and disability and so forth were doing. But now they took the money. They said, all right, instead of churches doing it, we're going to take the money from the people and we're going to do it. And so then people didn't have as much to give to the churches. So the churches weren't doing it as much. But we still get people who show up. You just show, we just, we're just here for a handout. Give us some money. What for? See, the people who are widows were people who were in the church and part of the church. If they were not part of the church, were they involved in the distribution? No, they weren't involved in it at all. I told you before, but you know, when we used to deal with this a little more often, um, people would call the church up and they say, you know, we need some money and we have to pay our rent, we have to pay whatever. And I say, well, you know, sometimes we get a chance to help people outside the church and uh, we'd love to be able to do that, but um, we work through your pastor. Who's the pastor of your church that I could call? I'll tell you what, every, not, I mean, not, uh, not most of them, every single one that I'd hit that up with, well, you know, we're not really in a church right now. And they would have different reasons. You know, we just moved. 
uh, we, we just haven't found one that we really like. Uh, we haven't been able to get to one. We haven't had transportation. Had a couple of them. Oh, you don't have transportation? Where do you live at? <laughs> you tell you what, you'd find out. I got one person, they, they got majorly mad at me for asking a question like that. Why are you in the world you asking a question? I said, I didn't call you for money. You called me. But you see, they get upset at that. Why? Because you, it changes our attitude to, the, to these things. In this country, if you go back to the 20s and the 30s and the 40s, people helped take care of each other. But it was people. If they had a neighbor whose uh, house caught on fire or barn caught on fire, what did the neighbors do? They all got together and they built a new house. They all worked at it and they, they, they came together. And what were the people who received that? What did they do? Man, thank you so much for showing up here and doing all this stuff for me. Really appreciate that. There was a gratefulness that was there. But anymore, it's not there. And the, the opportunity for people to do it as much isn't there because the government has decided we're going to take all the money and then we're going to distribute it. And um, that, that's not working out so well. We had Hurricane Sandy that went through. I heard some things that have gone on in there. You know that there's a whole lot of places out in Jersey. I was shocked to hear this. Just heard it this week. There's places out in Jersey that still have no power. I was totally shocked to hear that because you don't hear too much being made of it. Uh, you did before when uh, Katrina went through, but not so much on this one. They're just not, uh, not bringing that up. But a lot of people not being taken care of. Again, it's a government. We're going to take the money. We're going to get in there and, and do it. And people do a better job than a government does. Remember that story I told you? I forget where it was, whether it was down in Florida or Hawaii, one of those places, a resort area. Storm came through and washed the road out. Six months, I think it was going to be some long time, whatever it was, it was going to take them out of the season and there was a lot of businesses who were going to lose their money, lose their stuff, and it was going to cost so many millions of dollars in order to, uh, to fix it. They said, well, we can't wait for you. So they fixed it themselves for, you know, they collected money from all the different businesses and they did it, I think, for under $100,000. And fixed it in two weeks. I said, that's just better. That's just better. Take things out of the hands of the government. And, and I, th- I think there's a real good way to tell what should be in the hands of government and what should not. I think it's real easy, real good litmus test. What works? I just think it's an easy test on the thing. And, and really, what, everything that's in the government's hands is not unworkable. There are some things that in the government's hands work. Military. Does that work? It's all gone. That's an efficient machine. I mean, you got your hierarchy. You got your orders. People listen. And that's a, that's a very efficient machine. I think another one would be NASA. If everybody, if every corporation, let alone every government organization, worked with the efficiency of NASA, whew, oh, man, because NASA cannot be off. 99.9% effectiveness is not good. People are dying if NASA is 99.9% effective. That is not going to cut it for them. They have to be better. than. That. Can you imagine that? Do we have any government agency that would strive for better than 99.9% efficiency? So see, I would say that NASA belongs in the government. I think it belongs. I think they do just fine there. They work well. There are some things that just work in government and there are some, some things that do not. And it's real easy to tell what works, what's going on with efficiency. 
and what is not. There are some things that belong in the hands of the church. And over the years, they've been taken out of the hands of the church. The church does a better job of it. President Bush came along and had that faith-based uh, thing. They were trying to get some of the things back into the hands of, not necessarily the, the church, but just in the hands of religious organizations. Um, I don't think that's coming to a whole whole lot. What's well, a whole lot of things made of it in first, but I don't think it uh, really materialized into too great of a greater thing. But at least people were realizing that these things in the hands of government are not helping out. But anyway, this is what he talks about with widows. And uh, there are some people that we have to get in our understanding that we need to refuse. Because if we are to take them on, we are going to do them more harm. In the long run, Satan may gain them by us trying to help. And that's what, he's, uh, that's what I think is the most remarkable part about that section of Scripture right there, is that there are some people you need to refuse help because if you don't, you are setting them up for Satan to take over. If we do anything that causes people to become idle, we're not helping them out. We've got to get people busy. We've got to get people working. That should be all of our goals, is to, is to be working. It was my parents' goal when I was young. They saw me as idle, and I was. And so they, they worked, and so we've got to get this guy busy. We've got to get this guy going. And they, they did a good job. Taught me that being sitting around, not having any goals, not doing anything, that wasn't good. And we got ourselves got ourselves busy and got ourselves working and I found myself I, I could actually enjoy a 15, 16 hour day. It could be fun. But um, you get out of that, you can, you can stop. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this. That there are some people that we, by us helping them, we hurt them. But there are also some people out there that by us helping them, we do help them. We need to always listen to your spirit. We need to listen to your leading. Listen to your direction. Sometimes we're helping people and we're bringing them into a place to be idle. And sometimes we're helping people and we're giving them an opportunity to get busy, to get working for God. Help us to discern the difference, to always take these things to you and to take the principles that Paul laid out here in 1 Timothy 5 and apply them here. Father, you gave Paul wisdom how to deal with the situation the church faced. I thank you that you give us wisdom how to deal with situations that we face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.